Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. finish off this series we've been kind of walking through beginning a few weeks ago, tracking this picture that, that, that God paints for us from Genesis all the way to Revelation as a marriage covenant, a bride and groom, and a wedding feast. And really, as we've been unpacking the last couple weeks, the role of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said, it's good that I go away because as I go away, I will send to you, I'll ask the Father and he will send to you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, so that he will be with you and work in you as I go to prepare a place what the groomsman, what the bridegroom does in this betrothal period in the wedding. Again, if um, you haven't heard that message a few weeks back at the beginning of November that kind of tracks this picture of the bride and bridegroom, I would just strongly recommend that you do that because it's really helpful in establishing our identity and our activity. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, Luke writes this. He says, Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. This is speaking of Stephen, one of the the men who had been chosen by the apostles as a deacon to go and help distribute food to widows and help and also preach the gospel. And Stephen had just given a message out in the open air space in Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the religious leaders were irate. And so it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the right hand of God and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul And as they were stoning Stephen, he he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This is an outrageous passage, I think. (laughs) Um, I think, again, We have such familiarity with scripture. It is so easy for us to read and not experience the moment and the intensity. I mean, 
the, the, the scene that we see here is a guy who's been grabbed by a mob of people dragging him out of a city. I don't know how far that was, but dragging him not kindly, not gently, but dragging him out of the city, probably brutally, probably hitting him, probably doing all kinds of things, but dragging him out of the city. And when they get out there, they start to stone him. They start to hit him with rocks. Now, just imagine what that would be like. All the images that we have of people being dragged, they're always, there's always fighting, aren't they? They're always fighting against that. And, and then you've got these, this mob of people with these rocks, with these stones, and some of them are probably uh, within arm's reach and hitting him with the stones. Some of them are throwing the stones. And it says, at some point, he falls to his knees. <laughs> like, I don't know how long that took, but he's being hit with stones and rocks and he falls to his knees. And, and everything that I can think about this moment is, is anything but peaceful, right? But notice what Luke writes and says about Stephen in this moment. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says he saw God's glory and he beheld Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you remember last week talking about the Spirit, his role as counselor, and he counsels us to obedience? And how do we get there? Is that the Holy Spirit reveals to us God's glory. He, he manifests God before us, that we behold Jesus, and that is how we obey. And here's what's really interesting. You see the Holy Spirit doing something in this context with Stephen, where it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he saw the glory of God, which brought him to a place of, of unwavering obedience, and it said he beheld Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what's incredible about this, it says that as he fell to his knees, literally dying, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. <laughs> and then it says that not only did he say that, but he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then, love how scripture says he fell asleep. He actually died a really horrible and brutal death. <laughs> And so in this context, in this, I would say this is a, is a picture of unimaginable comfort. <laughs> that the Holy Spirit and his role as comforter was working full time in that moment in Stephen's life to bring him comfort in a, in a situation that I cannot imagine peace or comfort belong there. And so he gives this strength, hope, to ease the grief and the trouble that Stephen is experiencing. Hebrews 12, verses one and two says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses of what? <laughs> I think this great cloud of witnesses are people like Stephen and many others throughout the biblical narrative and throughout 
church history, people who've witnessed the faithfulness and the comfort of the Spirit to the very end of their lives here on earth. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses that have witnessed God's faithfulness, the comfort of the Spirit and the peace all the way to the end of their life, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus... He says, full of the Spirit, saw the glory of God and beheld Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus says to his disciples, it is good that I go away so that the comforter comes. And so Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can be here with us in our trouble, in our grief, in our suffering, in those moments where, like Stephen, he can bring unimaginable comfort to us. So again, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and uses the Greek term paraclete, which is this really wide-ranging term, and we don't have a single word that can really encompass what that means, but we've walked through this, that this, it, it, it means the advocate, that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, that he advocates for truth about God and about us and about reality, that the Holy Spirit is our counselor, that he counsels us towards obedience, and he reveals God's glory to us. And then this week, now, and again, this is an exhaustive of all the things the Spirit does because that would take a whole lot longer. But then we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, which brings us peace. And we see that so clearly in, the, in, the, in those last moments of Stephen's life where the Holy Spirit works in him and brings him this unimaginable comfort in one of the most brutal and tragic moments in, in Acts. And so, and so Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says this, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will, he, he, dwells, uh, he dwells with you and will be in you. And so Jesus says this, he says, look, I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, who, he says two things, who says, will be with you forever and will dwell with you and be in you. So there's this reality that Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you forever. You are never ever alone or outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. So there is no situation or context, whether, whether you are obeying what Jesus called you to do, or if you are, have kind of tried to hide, turn your back, and, and you're 
involved in all kinds of sin, the Holy Spirit is with you and in you and he is there forever and he's not leaving or going anywhere. And then later in verse 25 in chapter 14, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still here with you, but the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you things, all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now notice what Jesus says next. John chapter 14 is all about the Holy Spirit and how he's going to work and how it is better that the Holy Spirit is here. So he just says that, that, that he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He'll teach you all things. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus is talking directly about the Holy Spirit. Peace I give to you. That's almost interchangeable with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit I give to you, peace I give to you. And he says, not like the world gives. Do you think that the world has any way of finding peace in the moment that Stephen is being stoned? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's impossible. Like the world has no category or context for that. No way to get to a place of peace in that moment. And so Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, the Holy Spirit, who's the comforter, who will bring peace, not as the world brings peace. Then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. In other words, rejoice that I'm going away. Why would they rejoice that he's going away? It comes back to that marriage covenant picture. That in order for the wedding ceremony, the wedding feast to happen, the bridegroom must go away and prepare the place that he will come get the bride and take her to that place to live together forever. And so Jesus says, you would be rejoicing that I am going away because you know what that means. You know that that means I'm preparing a place for you and I will bring you to that place. And the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, I give you this peace during this time that I go away. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid because you know that there will be a day set by the Father that I will return and until that day, you are being prepared. You are preparing yourself, you're ready, and you are being purified to be taken to that place that I'm preparing. And the Holy Spirit will give you peace in this context. Through the comforting role of the Spirit, we have this durable peace in his presence and his power, not like anything that the world has to offer. And I think there's, there's some really specific ways that we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We, we experience comfort and peace through the Holy Spirit in our identity and our intimacy. Romans chapter eight, starting in verse nine, Paul writes this, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. The spirit who Jesus said will be with you and in you, that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is talking about. You are in, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul makes this connection and, and to think about a person who's gonna bring you comfort must have some kind of authority or power to bring that comfort and peace, right? Like a, who is gonna go to the Middle East right now and make actual peace? No one. <laughs> now there's countries that are working to bring a ceasefire, but there will not be peace within the context of those, those people in the Middle East. Not just between Israel and, and let's say, uh, the surrounding countries, but the countries around there. Even now, there's, 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 there's all kinds of things that we don't hear as much about. The Kurdish people in Turkey are being hunted and trying to be exterminated. The same thing in Syria. So it's not just Israel and the people in the countries around them. It's, it's people within those areas and just there's, there's no peace. And so there's gotta, if there was to be peace in the Middle East, it would need to be somebody who has immense power and ability to bring actual peace and not just a ceasefire, but peace where people actually come together and love one another. And, and, and Paul says this, he says, he says, look, if the, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, then you can have peace. <laughs> if he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can bring peace to you no matter what the situation is. And then later in verse 16, Paul writes this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the ways that the comforter brings peace is he bears witness to us that we are God's children. And, and we hear that all the time, but, but how often do we know with our minds that we belong to God, but, but maybe we don't experience it and we don't feel like we really belong to God in certain moments. The Spirit bears witness. He brings us peace by bearing witness to us that we are children of God that we belong to God, that he's our father, that he loves us and he is looking toward us, not away from us. That he is for us, not against us. That we are secure and sealed by the spirit is a source of immense comfort in our identity and our intimacy, that we are children of God and we are in this marriage covenant relationship with him. The Spirit also brings comfort in our grief. Romans, again in Romans 8, um, there's, there's part of Romans 8 where, where Paul talks about how all creation groans because 
it exists in a sinful world, in a sinful context, that all of creation is groaning. It says that we are groaning and it, and it is looking forward to the return of Christ where that groaning will cease. And so this context, and, and within that context of Romans 8, Paul is talking about that suffering that is universal to creation, to human beings, and to everything that exists, and that there's suffering, but there's also glory in Christ Jesus. And in, in Romans 8, in verse 26, Paul writes this, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, he's talking about, likewise, how creation groans, how we groan, how we struggle, we're in pain. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our suffering, in our pain, in, in the, the difficulty that we experience because we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world, that he helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray Pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is such, I think this is such a significant piece of information that we need to recognize in our lives. You see, there is grief that we all experience, that all of creation experiences from sin and brokenness, whether it's sickness or weakness or death, relationships, loved ones struggling, watching them struggle, just pain in general. And there are times in our lives that we all experience where we don't know how to get from our weakness and our affliction to the strength and promises that are in Christ Jesus. You experience moments in your life where you don't know how to get to the, to the, like the, the hole that you are in to the place of peace in the spirit of God. There's a number, there's a lot of times in my life, in my experience, that I have not been able to figure out how to pull myself out of the grief that I'm in. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit does know the path to that place. He knows how to get there. And, and what is amazing to me is, is in this passage where it says that that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's actually one word in the Greek, and it it is it, it basically is 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 without words. It's just simply without words. It is it is groanings without words. That the Holy Spirit will move in us in a way that that when we don't know what to say, we don't know what to pray, we don't know how, that He will move in us. In Exodus chapter two, we see, we see this, I think we see this happening. In Exodus chapter two and verse 23, it says, this is when the Israelites are in Egypt and they've been enslaved and their, their burden is heavy. And it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so there, the, the, the people of Israel, they had been so 
suffering so long and, and so badly that it says that they were just groaning and their groanings rose up to God and God heard their groanings. And I believe that in that, that is what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was taking these groanings that were too deep for words because there was no hope of rescue or salvation. And the Holy Spirit took those groanings and he groaned without words and, and the Holy Spirit communicated what needed to happen to the Father. I think sometimes the way we experience this can be when we just don't know what to do and we just break down. Have you ever been at a point where you have no words and you just begin to weep? Have you ever been at a place where you have no words and you've just yelled? Not words, but just a cry whether it's angry or hurt or frustrated, and you just either weep or you yell. I think those are almost two sides of the same coin in moments. And I think sometimes it is in those moments where we have nothing left and we just groan without words, the Spirit moves in a way to communicate exactly what we can't communicate. I remember one time, as years ago, and, and I would say it was the first time in my life that I realized that I could not express to God how thankful I was for him and how much I loved him, that everything I could say fell short, and I just started weeping, like just ugly crying. <laughs> and I remember in the midst of that, I felt an overwhelming peace that God was okay with that. And I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says the Holy Spirit, groan, he will do this in us. When we have groanings too deep for words, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and he intercedes for us according to the will of God. And I think for me in that moment, as, as, as the Holy Spirit was working, I think he bore witness to my spirit that I was a child of God. And that God's okay that I can't quite adequately express what he deserves. And the third specific thing that I think the Holy Spirit does in his role of comforting is he comforts us in our sufferings specifically when we suffer for Christ. I think the Holy Spirit comforts us by bearing witness to us that we are children of God. I think he comforts us by, by giving groanings that are too deep for words when we don't know what to do. He, he works, he intercedes for us because of the universal pain and suffering that there is, but also he comforts us in our sufferings when we obey Jesus in our lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Our hope is for you, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also experience 
and share in our comfort. And, and, so, and so here Paul says, as we share, as we suffer on behalf of, because of Christ, as we share in his sufferings, that we will be comforted. <laughs> That's his promise, that as we step out and obey Jesus and experience rejection or persecution, that the Holy Spirit will comfort us in our sufferings. Stephen was suffering because of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit comforted him. Not only did Stephen share in the sufferings of Christ and was die, died being stoned, but he also shared in the comfort of Jesus Christ as he was filled with the Spirit and he saw the glory of God and beheld Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And oftentimes God will use this suffering and comfort to bring our dependence on him and grow our trust in him. See, when we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we realize that God is true to his word. <laughs> we realize that God is faithful. We realize that God keeps his promises. And so you see, the comfort of the Holy Spirit and relying and depending on him is something, is a is a setting that we must always be walking by and recognizing. You know, we have words, we have like comfort foods, right? Those are foods we go to when we are maybe struggling or sad or don't wanna think about things. We have all kinds of things that we go to comfort for in the world. And here's the thing that they all have in common is none of them actually are lasting. None of them endure. No matter what comfort food, no matter what activity you do, no matter what thing you use to ease the pain, you always have to go back and start over again, don't you? But Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, the comforter, will be with you and in you forever. We don't need a prescription for the Holy Spirit. We don't need to go find him because he's always present with us. And, and here is an incredible characterization of the church in Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Here's, here's how we live and how we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 9, 31, and the context of this is that um, this is shortly after Stephen has been stoned, that the gospel, the word of God is going out. People are hearing it, people are responding to it, but also persecution is growing to the point where the, the church is about to be scattered out of Jerusalem. They're gonna be driven out of Jerusalem because of persecution. And here's what Luke writes in Acts 9.31, in that environment where people are suffering for the gospel and they're being persecuted, he says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. They had peace. This isn't describing the environment that they were in. It was anything but peaceful. But it says that they had peace and the church was being built up. And here's what it says. It says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There's two really significant things that characterize the church in the book of Acts. They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
Walking in the fear of the Lord does not mean that they were afraid of God or his punishment towards sin because our sin is already dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Maybe part of fearing God is that we are afraid of going backwards into seeking satisfaction and comfort in sin and our own unfaithfulness. We should be afraid of that. We should be concerned about going back to the old things that brought us temporary relief that wasn't God and and actually was the opposite direction of God. We should probably fear that. But here's what's interesting. Isaiah, we read, Isaiah trembles before God. Ezra falls on his face. Even the disciples were, were afraid. It says they were afraid when they realized who Jesus was. So with increasing knowledge of God and awareness of who he is, there is an increasing fear that is in awe of him. His holiness, his greatness, his majesty evokes a sober reality in us of who he is. So the church in Acts was walking in the fear of the Lord, but it says, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Here's the beauty of that. When we experience and see how amazing God is, how powerful God is, how holy God is, how just God is, and we realize how far short we fall, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort. How? By witnessing to our spirit that we are God's children. (laughs) That we do not have to be afraid of this holy God who cannot stand the sight of sin because we are in Christ and we've been forgiven and the Holy Spirit bears witness to that and he brings us comfort. And so we walk in this coupling of fear and comfort that God moves in us. You see, we are comforted in our fear of being unholy, unworthy, and just not enough by the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When I feel unworthy or unholy, or I feel like I just am not enough, the Holy Spirit says, that's okay. Jesus is enough. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter three, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, the comforter in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is that parallel of walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When the church or the bride walks in holy fear of God and in the comfort of the Spirit, we are empowered and able to achieve exactly what Jesus commanded us to do, to make disciples of all tribes and all tongues. When we walk like that. And so we have seen how the Holy Spirit works and moves in us during this time. That Jesus is preparing a place for his bride and his bride is being prepared and ready and purified to be received by the bridegroom. 
And so how the Spirit in our time of being ready prepares and purifies us for Jesus, he, in all of his roles, I mean, that's what he's doing. That's what the Spirit's doing right now. In you, in me, he's preparing us for Jesus. I've had a handful of conversations with people in recent days saying, why does it matter that we talk about the return of Jesus? Why does it matter? It matters because the Holy Spirit's job in our lives, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to prepare us and purify us for the return of Christ that he would receive us. That's why it's so important. It is the most important thing. There's nothing more important. And, and, and so the Spirit's roles all work together. There's these different roles, but one purpose and result. The, the, the Spirit reveals the truth about who we are and who Jesus is as an advocate, and he moves us to obey what Jesus has called us to do as a counselor. And as we live out our identity through obedience to Jesus, the Spirit constantly comforts us and brings us peace in our lives that is not affected by circumstances in but is in the confidence of knowing that we are the treasure of this bridegroom king who is coming for us. And that's not an inward focused thing because everything that this bridegroom king wants from us in this time is to be purified and prepared and to bring others into that marriage, into that kingdom. Revelation 19.7 says this, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And listen to this. And the bride has made herself ready. And the bride has made herself ready. Do you know that that is our job, our entire life is to make ourselves ready in cooperation with the Holy Spirit? This is at the end of the Bible and at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, it says, it says, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So how do we make ourselves ready? I wanna quickly give you three things. How we make ourselves ready. And my, my challenge to you this morning is to take a serious and brutal and honest look at your life and ask yourself, if Jesus came today, would he look at me and say, my bride has made herself ready? Because I don't know that my life up to this point has really taken that seriously. Three things that I, that I would just say that are part of the bride making herself ready. The first thing is prayer. Unceasing night, day and night prayer for God's justice and who he is. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 and he talks about this, this, this unrighteous judge and this woman who just constantly comes to him and asks the same thing for justice over and over and she is unrelenting. And here's what Jesus says. He says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says when he finally gives in. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? 
unrelenting prayer. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, and here's his conclusion. When the son of man comes, when he returns for his bride, will he find faith on earth? Are we, do we really believe that prayer is probably the most significant activity that we can do? Is my life characterized by day and night prayer? Is your life characterized by that? The second thing that we do to prepare the bride has made herself ready is that we live and breathe the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom preached and demonstrated to every ethnicity globally. In Matthew 4, it says, and Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. One of the ways that the bride makes herself ready is that we take the gospel of this kingdom to every tribe and every nation all over the world and no one is exempt from that task. Because if I'm not doing that to some degree, whether I'm, whether I'm raising awareness, whether I'm helping people, whether I'm uh, praying, whether I'm welcoming, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm not part of that, then I'm not preparing myself. I'm not making myself ready for the, for the bridegroom. And then finally this, I would just say one, one. The church will be one even as the Father and the Son are one. Union with God and with one another will reveal the most glorified and unified witness for Christ. Jesus prays in John 17, he says, I do not ask for these only, the, the immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may be become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Do you know how the bride makes herself ready? She's unified. Globally and intimately here. If we are not pursuing unity with one another, we are not preparing ourselves for the bridegroom, period. So how does the bride make herself ready? Prayer, unceasing prayer. Living our lives for the gospel of the kingdom, which means proclaiming to the end of the earth, including your neighbor. <laughs> and then being one. If we were to focus on those three things for the rest of our lives, unceasing prayer, the gospel of the kingdom and unity, we would be a bride prepared for the bridegroom. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that are important. Those are the things that Jesus has called us to. 
invite the worship team to come back up and I wanna pray for us. And as we end this morning, I would, I would challenge you to take time and not move on because, well, now I have heard something and now I have information and now I'm gonna move to the next thing. I would challenge you to stay in this place of seeing scripture as a marriage covenant, seeing yourself in this betrothal period and what the bridegroom desires of you during this time. I truly believe that if we really have this picture, things will radically and dramatically change. And the key to our success is the Holy Spirit. It's not your morality, it's not your ethics, it's not your ideology. It is the Holy Spirit as an advocate for truth, as a counselor towards obedience, and as a comforter who gives you peace. Jesus, I, I pray right now that we would take seriously being ready for your return. God, focusing on the return of Christ does not take us out of the world. It actually gives us a greater burden and a greater passion for the world. Jesus, I pray right now that, that the Holy Spirit would move in us in a way that we would our conversation would be characterized by prayer. That we would pray alone, we would pray together, we would pray and pray and speak with you and, and cry out to you. And when we don't know what to say, Holy Spirit, that you will communicate in groans according to the will of God. I pray that we would care about the gospel of the kingdom. That we would, we would not be taking sides, but we would care precisely about the salvation of those who are far from you. And that we would love you so much that we would care about the world. Oftentimes the world that comes into our community. I pray Holy Spirit that you would bring us to a place where we lay down our pride and our arrogance and our petty differences and that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one so that we would be ready to be received and that we would be a bride in splendor and beauty as the treasure of this King bridegroom in Jesus name Amen Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.